Good evening, everyone. A very warm welcome to the LSC for this evening's event. My name is Sandra Jovcelovic, and I'm a professor of social psychology here at the school where I direct the master's program in social and cultural psychology. Thank you all very much for coming this evening. And even before we start, I would just like to take a moment to say that our thoughts uh, are with everyone who has been affected by today's terrible and tragic events in Westminster. So, it's a great honor for me to welcome my colleagues, Dr. Alex Gillespie and Dr. Tom Rieder today. I am sure you're all aware uh, Alex Gillespie and Tom Ritter are associate uh, professors in the Department of Psychological and Behavioral Science at LSC. I'm equally delighted uh, to welcome Krista broughton Monfort, uh, uh, who is clinical governance lead at BUPA Global uh, Market Unit, and Chandra Disenayeke, who is deputy director at the cabinet office. They are both going to be commenting and responding to Alex's and Tom's lecture this evening. This event, entitled Learning from Complaints, the Benefits to Organizations of Listening to Uncomfortable Truths, marks the 10th and final lecture in the 2017 series LSE Works. Let me say a few words about the series. LSE Works is a series of public lectures that began in 2011, showcasing some of the latest research by LSE's academic departments and research centers in an accessible manner. In each session, LSE academics present key research findings demonstrating where appropriate the implications of their studies for public policy. Held every two years, a successful second series of LSE works was held in 2013 and continued with a third series in 2015. In 2017, LSE is delighted to continue the success of LSE works with a fourth series of public lectures. Now, Public services such as healthcare receive large volumes of complaints. Traditionally, this has been seen as something to manage or even to hide. However, from a social psychological standpoint, listening to complaints can potentially provide independent, practical, and unique insights. In this lecture tonight, Alex and Tom will report on evidence using the Healthcare Complaints Analysis Tool, which is the first reliable tool for systematically analyzing and benchmarking the severity of complaints received by hospitals. It shows that complaints from patients and families highlight systemic problems in the provision of healthcare and are associated with hospital level mortality rates. This evidence supports the idea that complaints have high validity and can be used both 
as an early warning system for identifying systemic institutional failures as a catalyst for organizational learning. So we're really looking forward to your lecture, Alex and Tom. Now, just a few uh, notes. On, for those of you who are Twitter users and want to use it, the hashtag is there, LSE Works. And I would also ask you, please, to put your phones on silence so as not to disturb the event. The evening's event is being recorded and will hopefully be made available as a podcast subject to no technical difficulties. As usual after the lecture, there will be the chance for you to put your questions to the panel. But for now, will you please join me in welcoming Alex and Tom to deliver the lecture entitled Learning from Complaints, the Benefits to Organizations of Listening to Uncomfortable Truths. If you want to, okay. you can flick through it. Yeah, that, but it's, if you don't want okay. them on the... It's okay. I don't think there's a way of showing it. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Sandra, and thank you all for coming here despite recent events. Um, I'm Alex Gillespie, and this is my colleague Tom Reeder, and we are going to talk to you about learning from complaints. Let me give you a little bit of background with some theory. This is our basic idea that uh, what people should hear is often inversely related to what they want to hear. We want to hear things which are nice and supportive about ourselves, but we learn from the things which are difficult and challenging. Uh, I might think I'm a good lecturer, but if my students disagree, that is something I should listen to. I might think uh, that I'm a good spouse, but my wife might disagree. Now, if... I said I was a good spouse, and my wife said I wasn't, and I spent too much time doing other things, who would you believe? Would you believe me, or would you believe my wife? The idea here is that sometimes other people see more truth in us than than we see in ourselves, and what we need to do is learn from that. We're going to be getting up and down a bit, so we'll get some exercise. exercise. Our our question really is, to what extent does this interpersonal, social, psychological dynamic about listening hold true in organizations? And is it also the case that sometimes what an organization needs to hear is inversely related to what it wants to hear? And there's lots of examples of this, perhaps taking the case of lecturing, university has a rhetoric around being a great institution for teaching. It's pretty uncomfortable when perhaps students don't think the same thing. Or an organization thinks it's great on customer service, but its clients don't necessarily agree. But organizations are pretty complex as well. They create narratives. So some organizations convince themselves that they are doing something well, that their product works. And people who are within the organization who perhaps see something else can be suppressed. And those who don't point out that the emperor has no clothes, they are promoted. Okay. So when you kind of think about this dynamic of listening and uncomfortable truths in organizations, you often have this kind of cultural element that comes in. 
How does an organization develop a culture of listening? And how does it use and draw upon uncomfortable truths? And that's really where our, our, what our research focuses on. And I, to kind of illustrate this, I've really highlighted three examples. Um, you might have been unfortunate enough to see the film Deepwater Horizon. Um, as Alex pointed out earlier, my paper is much better much gripping on this issue, but it's an interesting case study. It's an ex example of an oil rig that blew up off the um, uh, c uh, coast of the, of the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. It led to the worst oil spill ever. And it was entirely avoidable. Lots of people in the institution and surrounding institutions were pointing out problems. Yeah, the, the nature of the well, the cement, all sorts of issues were being raised, but no one was listening. This, uh, the, 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 I'll see if I can, this case here, uh, this re relates to um, Wells Fargo. I don't know if you're familiar with this particular scandal, but this year Wells Fargo was found to have been creating lots of bogus accounts for its customers, um, unethical practices. And this is quite interesting because a lot of employees were leaving the company because of this. That's a signal to the organization. People are leaving because it's unethical. And perhaps closest to this particular talk is the case of Stafford Hospital um, in the Midlands. And this is a hospital in the UK where between uh, 2005 and 2008, between 400 and 1,200 patients died who shouldn't have died. Um, that's the kind of estimation. And the reason they died was because of the dreadful quality of care that was provided to them. And you had terrible anecdotal instances, patients having to drink from flower vases because they weren't getting water, people being left in unsanitary conditions for days, weeks. Why this is a really interesting case is because, is to all intents and purposes, from the institutional data side, it all looks well. It was hitting its targets. It was doing well financially. It looked pretty good. But there was one group of people who were saying it wasn't so good. It was the patients and their families. And they were writing letters saying it wasn't good. But these letters were going to the trust, who weren't really listening to them. And this really starts, this is kind of the starting point for our, our talk today. How do you take these, how do you sort of draw on external insights and utilize them? And we, our research agenda can be summarized really as the following. This is more broader, perhaps beyond just the talk today. We want to conceptualize the nature and value of uncomfortable truths to organizations. What are these? What do they look like? What kind of data sources do they lie in? How do you find them? What are the methodologies for studying them? And crucially, how do you support institutions that want to learn? How can you help them to find this data and learn from it? I'll stand here. So let me uh, introduce you to our research context within that larger frame. We're going to look at healthcare today, healthcare complaints. And uh, I want to start with some background statistics just to convince you that things do go wrong, but they don't need to go wrong. So the UK National Audit Office in 2005 estimated that nearly 11% of patients who went into a hospital experienced an adverse event, sometimes quite serious. These are events which they didn't have when they went in events which didn't have to happen. Uh, each year they estimate that up to 34,000 people in the UK die because of medical accidents. Nearly a million cases of preventable harm each year. And all that 
harm and death, of course, causes huge amount of suffering for the individuals concerned and the families, and also economic cost. Nearly half a billion in negligence claims and possibly two to three billion in terms of extra bed days. People have to spend longer in hospital. There is a tendency to say, well, that's health care and that's what happens. It's unavoidable, but it is avoidable and some hospitals do better than others. The clearest case of it being unavoidable is actually to look to aviation. In the 1950s, uh, aviation was very dangerous and uh, planes did fall out of the sky with uh, terrible frequency. But since then, accidents have been reduced by 93%. That is a huge increase in safety. And how did they do it? Well, they installed those black boxes, actually two boxes which aren't black, but one records the conversation and one records all the flight data, all the statistics from all the uh, sort of sensors and so on, and they systematically analyze this, not just when there's a crash, but when there's a near miss, when anything is seen to go potentially wrong. And that feeds into a learning organization. There is also a just culture, the idea that even if you've made a mistake, reporting it doesn't get you in trouble because it's the system which led you to that. So it's about creating a learning organization. And there's a lot of people now in the field of healthcare wondering, can we bring some of those insights from aviation into healthcare to reduce some of these unfortunate statistics? So how do complaints fit in here? Well, a lot of data is gathered in healthcare contexts. But complaints, unfortunately, are not analyzed as much as they might be. We see complaints a little bit like the black box in the airplane, which is recording things going wrong. These are patients going through the organization recording events. Returning to uh, the Mid-Staffordshire NHS uh, trust scandal, which Tom mentioned, here we have a quote from Sir Francis, who investigated what had gone wrong. And he said... Complaints were not given a high enough priority in identifying issues and learning lessons. The truth of unsafe care was uncovered mainly because a persistent, of the persistent complaints made by a very determined group of patients and those close to them. So the early warning of things going wrong was there on the front line of people going through the organization. They were seeing with their eyes, recording things going wrong, and writing in but the organization was not listening. Why are complaints valuable? We see complaints as the distillation distillation of a huge number of complaints. So think, I mean, NHS is a complicated organization with a lot of buildings and so on, but each year, 243 million people go into all those organizations. And we see them, they're they're like ethnographers, observers, going in, going down all the corridors, going into all the rooms, observing things. And they filter that data, they process that data, they're motivated to understand that data because their own health is at stake. And when things go wrong, they write letters, they send emails, they say things weren't right, and they're concerned because it's their health. This is high-quality data. If the NHS tried to commission a study with uh, 243 million observation events. It would cost a lot of money. This is a huge amount of distilled data, and here it is being handed on a plate. uh, So it's it's valuable because it has just the volume. They're motivated. They also have privileged access to issues of miscommunication and dignity as... uh, any students who I 
lecturer here will know I'm fond of saying that uh, miscommunication and misunderstandings are two sort of the unique type of problem because you only have them when you don't think you have them and when you know you have them, you don't have them. Uh, which is to say that when there's a miscommunication, you need the other side to be there and you need to hear what they're saying in order to know you've got that problem. This is the type of problem which you can only understand when you get feedback, which is sometimes uncomfortable from other people. Also, there's evidence to suggest that uh, patients are more free to speak up than staff. Staff have jobs on the line, raising complicated issues, whistleblowing, and so on. There's a lot of evidence to suggest it's not so easy. But once care is concluded, patients can often be very direct uh, speakers of insight, difficult truths. Also, patients are independent from the norms and culture of the hospital. If a culture is going awry, then you actually need someone from outside that culture to see it because if you try and probe that culture with surveys, well, you just get the culture back at you. Everything's fine. In fact, we often have discussions, when you do a survey like this, one organization says everything's fine, the other organization says it's not. Which is actually the safe organization? The one which says it's not is arguably the one who's more concerned about safety, and the one who says it's all fine is the one you should worry about. And it's very difficult to interpret that data, but complaints give you a clearer insight, we would argue. And finally, <clears throat> going back to the black box idea of patients being that recording system going through the institution, they can observe gaps in care, failures in the care pathway, which can be opaque to the institution itself. <clears throat> so complaints contain valuable data, but the analysis of that data has been lacking. And this... Uh, led us to do a systematic review of the ways in which complaints have been analyzed. We found 59 studies reporting empirical data on complaints, and we were surprised to discover there was no standardized way in which complaint data was analyzed or reported. We found uh, taxonomies which confused problems with stages, with severity. They weren't disentangling the sort of basic components. There was very little uh, theoretical conceptualization of what was going on, and severity wasn't coded. So each complaint is treated just as a number. But uh, what we hope to show you today is that you can't just add one complaint to another complaint equals two complaints because in some complaints people die and in other complaints the Wi-Fi isn't working. And I don't know how many Wi-Fi is not working equals one person dying, but you know, it's a big difference. <clears throat> so the data needs to be treated as categorically distinct phenomena happening. We need to look at the level of what is actually happening. To give you some ideas as to... Um, how complaints are analyzed. This is the current NHS analysis of complaints. So in uh, 2014 15, 121,000 complaints. And here is the coding scheme. And I'll point out three problems with this coding scheme. First is uh, all aspects of clinical treatment accounts for 44% of the thing. You can't really learn from all aspects. What's wrong? Well, all aspects are wrong. That's not very helpful. You need something at a greater level of granularity. Also, appointments and admissions, the uh, fourth and fifth most common category, well, appointments and admissions are overlapping because people who are looking for an appointment are trying to get admission and vice versa. So when something comes in, which way do you code it? Uh, but then a third problem is, well, appointments and admissions aren't actually problems. They're stages. And in fact, you could have a communication problem at admissions. So where would you put that? 
And now you have one thing which could go in all of those three, and that's why you'd put it in all aspects of clinical treatment and end up with 44% lump on one side. So this is not unusual. This is just an example of the way we've seen things done. We set out to try and produce a reliable, theoretically informed coding frame that could support learning. Uh, and it's called the Healthcare Complaints Analysis Tool, uh, HCAT, from here on in. Um, and HCAT was really, it's taken two or three years to develop, um, and it tries to address these issues that Alex was highlighting in terms of the problems with codifying complaints. And it's probably just worth looking at a little bit of what's in a complaint just to, so you can get a sense of that. I'm just going to talk through two extracts from a couple of complaints here. Um, the first is uh, from a complaint uh, about training. So, we wish to raise concerns about the training of nurses in your hospital. When receiving a fentanyl patch to manage the pain, the bedside nurse had to ask the accompanying staff nurse on how to apply this patch. When I questioned why she seemed unsure how to administer this type of analgesia, she candidly told me that she was a pediatric nurse and was only helping out in the ward. I want to know why this staff nurse with inadequate skills was on the ward. Okay. Kind of typical complaint. What's the person saying here? They're saying someone with inadequate skills was treating, was be, was treating patients. Now, of course, in a healthcare organization, it's a tra they're often training institutions, so people often have inadequate skills. But it's a, it's, a, it's a legitimate concern. Illustrative example number two. We are writing to you to complain about the care given to our mother. She visited a &E, um, twice visited A&E in pain from a severe uh, um, and ongoing sickness. The doctors examined her and diagnosed a gastric bug. They ignored our concerns that she was getting progressively weaker. We visited a third time, five days later, where mum was diagnosed as having a hernia blocking her bowel. We feel the first doctors should have detected the hernia and acted on her deterioration. The hernia could have been detected through a more thorough examination before her health had deteriorated to the point where she was too weak to undergo the operation, resulted in kidney failure and death. Okay, two. Now, as Alex was saying, and these are kind of one plus one within the current system, uh, um, with both complaints, but they point to quite different things. They're both valid. They both provide insights. They both highlight potential problems in safety, somebody who's untrained being supervised by another person, and a series of medical misdiagnoses. And our kind of insight here, which is quite important in the realm of complaints, is that if you're, if, you, if, if you're trying to learn from complaints, although both of these issues are important, of course you want to find the most serious ones. These cases where people are... And this one about the, the, the misdiagnosis is interesting because the patient was misdiagnosed twice and diagnosed on the third time. But actually that's two times where something could have... where their problems could have been detected. And that's really the insight here. How do you develop a system for capturing these types of problems? And that's really what, what HCAT does. Uh, it's the first, uh, um, it's free, reliable tool for analyzing service user complaints. Um, it gets very much into the specifics of healthcare, but at its heart are these following issues. Every complaint is effectively treated as an incident report. Somebody is trying to provide and provide information on something that happened to them that they think was important. And you approach each complaint in the same rigorous fashion. You say, what is the problem being reported? What are they trying to highlight? Are they trying to highlight a safety problem, 
an attitude problem, a procedural problem. How severe was it? Was somebody upset by a nurse being rude, or, did, or was it the case that they did, were, did not have the chance to give consent before an operation? How severe are the problems? Where did it happen? Did it happen in admissions, discharge, care on the ward, during a procedure? Who did it involve? Are we talking about clinicians? Are we talking about nursing staff, administrative staff? And was there a consequence? And this last question seems a little odd, but sometimes things can go wrong, but nothing happens. So, for example, you get a lot of complaints where somebody writes in to say, I was almost given the wrong medication. I noticed it, and it was prevented. So there's no harm, but they identified an instance where they could have been killed or severely harmed. You have to capture those incidents. That's really what HCAT does. Um, and it, I'm just going to talk you through the model uh, very briefly. It, in terms of kind of analyzing the types of problems that occur, uh, it, it, it analyzes three forms of problems. It identifies three types of problems. Clinical problems. So this is the kind of provision of clinical care, diagnoses, uh, uh, medications, and such like. This is kind of competence, the competence of people to do things. Management issues. Management issues relate to the environment. You know, is the building falling apart? Are the procedures working? And relationship issues. This is, well, care was pretty good, but the staff treated me like a piece of dirt. Um, or my, my loved one wasn't hurt. They didn't die because of an error, but the way their body was treated was in a very undignified manner. So here you're kind of getting to issues around dignity and care. So you analyze the complaints in terms of these three domains, and they have problems underneath them. Um, within clinical, there's two types of problems we identify. Problems around quality. So this would be um, changing um, bandages, wounds, the kind of general care of a patient. And you've, you've safety, which is things like medical errors. And where you identify, say, a safety problem, you grade how severe it was. So a slight delay in administering a pain medication or not responding to a call bell for 10 minutes would be a low severity issue. Um, giving the incorrect or dose for a cancer drug um, or ignoring a patient who is having a heart attack, that would be a, a, a high severity issue. So you kind of grade each complaint in terms of the problem and the severity of issues reported. You say where it happened. Where in the hospital system did this happen? And this is really bound to the perspective of patients. Was it when they were being admitted, when they were being diagnosed, where they were being cared for during an operation? And you also cope, well, what was the harm? You know, did, did somebody die? Was there psychological trauma? Every complaint is analyzed in the exact same way in order that you can aggregate the data, which is what Alex is going to talk about now. Okay, so now we're going to present a couple of studies which use the tool and uh, share with you some of the insights we find with a systematic analysis. So two concepts here, hotspots and blind spots. Hotspots are when you map severity or problems onto stages of care or locations, geographic locations, to see where things are going wrong. Of course, you can only do that when you separate stages from problems because you cross them over. Blind spots are particularly interesting because they are the, the aspects of the organization which we think uh, patients and service users have particular insight into and the organization might have trouble monitoring. So to do this, we got a national sample of 1,100 complaints from across the UK, from 52 trusts, 26 were acute, 1% uh, of all the complaints received in 2011. 
and we applied our tool. Now, let me talk you through this. So this is a hotspot analysis of the domains by the stages. So across the top here, we have the stages, admission, examination, ward, procedure, discharge, multiple stages, and other. And on the left-hand side, you have the domains, which Tom described. You have clinical domain, management domain, and relationship domain. And you can see here what we found in the systematic review, that about one-third of all complaints are clinical, one-third are management, and one-third are relationship. So, but they're not evenly distributed across the stages. So clinical is very rare in admissions. I should say green, green in these cells means there's less than expected. Orange means there's a lot more than expected. Uh, so clinical, rare in admissions, very common in examination on the ward and in the procedure, accounting for over half of procedure complaints. Management, mainly at admissions, very rare examination, ward, and procedure. Relationship, very unusual at admissions, very common in examination. So it's when they're being examined, relationship issues come to the fore. So now you can begin to get a more nuanced analysis of not just what the problems are, but where they're occurring. And because of the way we did the coding, you can now zoom in on this. So once you get the hang of that, we'll zoom in one level deeper, where we're now looking not just at the three domains, but the seven subcategories. We get a more refined analysis. So now working from the top down, you can say admissions. Okay, what is the profile of admission complaints across the UK? Well, it's actually institutional processes is the real one. Examination is safety issues, not quality issues. It's all about safety. And this one is interesting. It's listening. It's the key area where listening is not working, is at the level of examination. People trying to say things but it's not being picked up, and that has safety issues, safety implications. On the ward, what's going on on the ward? Well, it's not actually safety issues on the ward. It's much more quality. It's much more um, environment. This is environment, dirty, unclean environment. That's what's happening on the ward. Procedures, unsurprisingly, the bulk there is safety. But you can also see by the width of that bar that procedures are actually quite a small slice of the data. You know, examination is a much accounts for much more cases. The numbers in here account for the number of uh, issues. Discharge was an issue which emerges. It has more complaints than procedures, and the main, the main thing here is um, the sort of procedures around discharge. So you can dice the data that way. You could also say where are the most severe issues occurring. So this is when we strip out the... the domain or the problem type and just say where is the severity and you see that admissions yes we do get quite a bit but they're low severity we get more than expected low severity and less than expected high severity what's interesting here now is that the complaints which refer to multiple stages a huge number nearly half of them are high severity so beginning to see something, when we saw that, we, th we thought, well, this is telling us that something about when the complaint gets more complicated, the severity goes up. So to examine this in greater detail, and this will stretch your minds, this is, a, uh, <laughs> this is four categorical variables interacting multidimensionally. So let me talk you through this. At the top, we have number of visits. No visit, and just notice... 12% of all the complaints, no one ever entered the hospital or the healthcare unit. They didn't even get there. 
Of course, you wouldn't know that unless you'd looked at your complaints, but there you go. So 12% don't get there. The bulk had one visit, but actually multiple visits are very common, right? These aren't just single visit things. So we've got visits on the top. Going down the right-hand side, we have the number of stages reported. One or multiple, one or multiple. At the bottom, we have the number of staff groups mentioned. This is, did they mention just nurses, just doctors, just admin staff, and so on, or did they mention multiple staff groups? And then on the left-hand side, the number of problems, one problem or multiple problems. Now, why this is interesting is because you might think that a healthcare complaint is this cluster here, which is one visit, one stage, one staff group, one problem. But that's only 21% of complaints. 79% of complaints are actually complicated. Multiple staff groups, multiple visits, multiple stages, multiple things going on. That's interesting because that begins to suggest, well, that's a blind spot here. This bit's very easy to see. Whoever, whichever member of staff was there can see that and report on that. These ones are much more difficult to see because you have to join together data from multiple visits, from multiple staff groups, from multiple stages within the organization. Who is the only person who can join together all that data? Well, it's the patient, because they were the one who was there on each visit. They were the one who was there going through the organization, meeting all the different staff groups. And most importantly, as things get more complicated down here to the multiple, 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 Severity is at 2.5. That's on a 1 to 3 scale. These are nearly all high severity. This is where, you know, really bad things are happening. But these are also the ones which are most difficult to see. Ah, that's my slide. I think I had a joke here as well, but my notes aren't here. So trust me, there was a good joke. Um, Bringing this together, I'd say there were... uh, three blind spots we're conceptualizing. One, complaints help you see what doesn't happen in the organization. These are things like where there's no visit. Now, a bunch of the no visits are, I saw, you know, an ambulance driver driving recklessly. I saw some uh, healthcare staff just dump the rubbish on the street. There's some of that, but the majority is actually people who can't get access to services. So there's an interesting health inequality angle there. Discharge. 26% of complaints refer to problems occurring after discharge. Well, they're invisible because they're not on premises. You only get insight about those when patients come back in, but then it has to be logged as a continuous episode. And there is some interesting literature on side effects as a blind spot. You know, people are sent out with drugs and so on, but nobody, or not nobody, but it's less likely that the side effects of those drugs are recorded. We would expand that point and say a lot of things are happening at discharge. You know, people are, uh, the, the problem they went in with is fixed, but they're unable to have sexual relations, they um, are unable to do sports they wanted to do before, they can't sleep anymore. These are the kind of side effects which are being picked up in discharge. There's also the relationship problems. As I mentioned, listening problems and so on. You really have to hear it from the other side in order to know you've got those problems. And finally, third, systemicness. That is the idea that the really important things are very systemic and you need to see it from the patient point of view to see how all those elements are joined together. Uh, There's no more four-way interactions, just so um, you can relax your minds now. Um, 
So systemicness is one of the insights that complaints provide, and blind spots. But we have kind of another question which we've been investigating, which is, so complaints can provide you quite concrete insights about the service and about institutions. But to what extent are they a valid indicator of healthcare services? Um, and that's really what this kind of next study we're going to talk about uh, involves, where we were interested in the following question. Where patients are reporting more severe problems, uh, where the, kind of the worst complaints are being raised, to what extent is that linked with harder outcomes, clinical data? And so really here we're talking about mortality data um, and standardized mortality, um, which is a, a slightly con is a contested idea, but it's that you can assess how many patients died according to how many should have died according to their pre-existing risk factors. This is another study. This has involved collecting more complaints. Um, we've analyzed coming up for 5,000 complaints uh, now, so we're, 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 we've read a lot of complaints. We analyzed for this study about just over 1,000 complaints collected from 45 <coughs> acute trusts, uh, um, data collected in 2013. So we collected data, a sample for 45 trusts. And you can read, there, usually a trust has a major hospital within it and some auxiliary services. We also collected for each of those trusts other data, mortality data that I mentioned, patient safety data, so this is staff reporting things going wrong, patient experience data, so this is, sur so this is surveys of patients, and complaint frequencies by admission. So this is how many complaints did the hospitals receive in relation to the number of patients they treated. On average, we have 24, just, under, or just over 23 complaints per trust. Um, HCAT is very reliable, so one thing we didn't mention is that HCAT, you can give HCAT to five or six people, you can give a complaint to them, and they will all code the complaint in the same way, which is why it's quite a powerful tool. So the reliability is very good on it. I'm just going to talk you through some simple bar graphs here. Okay, so what is this? This is complaint frequency. This shows the number of complaints the hospitals, the trusts receive per admissions. And you can see trusts really vary. So here... Up here, this trust receives one complaint per 100 admissions, and this trust here at the end uh, receives just over one complaint per 550 admissions, something like that. So there you have an index. Okay, complaints re trusts receive different levels of complaints. Now, of course, your intuitive thought would be, well, that's a bad trust, oh, so that's a good trust, and that's a bad trust, but not necessarily, which is something we're going to explore in a second. When you apply HCAT to the sample of letters from the trusts, this is what you get. So here, what the orange represents is the proportion of complaints that were clinical, the proportion of complaints that were management-related, and the proportion of complaints that raised a relationship issue. It's worth raising that some complaints report multiple issues, and this is what this data reflects. And you can see here that this trust here nearly, well, just under 50% of all complaints raised a clinical issue. In this trust here on the left, uh, under 20% of complaints raised a clinical issue. Most complaints were about relationships. So what this is important is that the profile of complaints being received by each trust differs. And our question is, well, can you, what does this mean? And finally, complaint severity, which is really what we're going to focus on now. So this is the number of high-severity problems being raised by each complaint. Okay? 
And what it shows here is that the trust on the left, only 10% of complaints have a high severity issue within them, and the trust on the far right here, well, nearly 60% of complaints have a high severity issue rated within them. I'm afraid we can't tell you which hospital is uh, reflected by the numbers. Um, but they're very different. You have very, very different profiles of complaints. Wildly different, in a way. What happens when you start to correlate these profiles with other data? There's a correlation matrix here, but you don't really need to look at it. I'm going to pick out three key findings for you. So Spearman's rank correlations. Um, so every data was correlated at a trust level um, between the, their profile of HCAT, of severity, complaints, and their outcome data. And what it shows is this. Complaint frequency does not correlate with uh, mortality. So the more complaints a hospital trust receives, or a trust receives, this isn't correlated with the, the, the mortality statistics. And kind of crucially, it's negatively correlated with severity. So the more trust, complaints a trust receives, actually the lower the severity of complaints are. See, it sounds counterintuitive. Until you think a little bit about the culture of organizations. The trusts with a very open culture to, to complaints that solicit complaints, and some do, they invite complaints, they get a lot of complaints. Those complaints tend to be of quite a low severity nature. Trusts that don't listen to complaints, that don't pick, respond to people's issues, don't get, get, tend to get so many of those lower, lower level complaints. People only write when they've got something really important to say because it's kind of happened. Someone's died, someone's been hurt. They don't write about the Wi-Fi or the parking charges or these kinds of things. So you kind of have this counterintuitive logic. Actually, more complaints can oddly be good and fewer complaints can be bad listening to uncomfortable truths. Okay, next. Complaint severity correlates with trust mortality at point four. So the more severe the complaint, the brutally, according to mortality statistics, the more patients are dying. There's an association there. It's not predictive, but there's an associative link. This is quite significant because it means by looking at the profile of complaints, you can say, well, trusts with high, severe, high severity complaints their patients are likely to be having poorer outcomes. And safety instances and patient experience, this is when you fill in that survey saying, how was things for you, they don't really correlate with anything. Um, and this is to be expected as well. Where things are going wrong a lot of the time, staff often aren't enabled to report that, um, and satisfaction surveys regress to the mean. We've all filled in satisfaction surveys, but sometimes we don't really have very much to say. We just fill it in. It's a lot of noise. Complaints tap into the, that set of people who have a lot to say. Um, this is it as a scatter plot. Um, trust, so on the y-axis is the mortality uh, um, statistic for each trust, and on the uh, um, x-axis is, is this complaint severity. And when you put all of this data into a regression model, um, the severity predicts mortality above the other things. What can you learn from this? Well, you learn that analyzing, analyzing complaints in a highly structured fashion and distilling insights about severity um, is a valid way to monitor the trusts, to monitor the healthcare provision they provide. This becomes particularly important when you have a trust like Mid-Staffordshire that isn't really reporting on itself properly. So that is the, the academic work we've been doing. I'm now going to say a little bit about uh, 
the, the works part, the implementation, how it's been picked up and used in different organizations. I should say we don't actually know how many people are using uh, HCAT because it's, uh, we made it freely available. And we only know about it from the people who've emailed us and said they're using it and sending us reports they've done with it and so on. Uh, one of the people who contacted us was from the Cabinet Office. And, uh, well, uh, Chandra is going to talk a bit more about that maybe, but um, we heard that they were looking into uh, cross-department complaints, cross-government department complaints, and uh, we started having some meetings there. We told them not only have we done the systematic review, but we've also been working on this tool, HCAT, and... Uh, they were very enthusiastic, and then we worked with uh, the Behavioral Insights team, uh, who did some great work with us, sort of doing a little trial. So we got five NHS trusts who uh, wanted to participate. They each gave us 90-odd complaints. We produced a bespoke report for each of them, going from benchmarking down to specific details, as I'll show you. And uh, then it was the Behavioral Insights team which followed up with uh, whether the trust found it useful or not. I think I can say that trust found it useful, yeah. Sorry, I, I'm looking at uh, Stephanie there. She wrote the report. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the report. I'm just going to talk about what we did. But, uh, so this is the kind of report we produced for these five NHS trusts. First, we began with kind of broad benchmarking. So what percentage of your complaints are severe relative to the national profile? And we're going to look at a report sort of uh, abbreviated anonymized report for a very good trust. So they were having 20% severe complaints compared to a national average of about 32%. So this is a good trust. But then not only did they learn for the first time where they stood in relation to the national profile, we were able to, to zoom in and say, okay, looking across the stages of care, you're really excellent on care on the ward. So here you have the institution, which is anonymized, and the national average. And you have very few, you know, high severity complaints compared to the national average. So you're doing great there. And you're doing really good on, on some of these other areas like examination. But where you're a little bit weak is discharge. We also zoomed in on procedures. We chose, we chose areas to zoom in on. And now we had a kind of grid for a more qualitative analysis. So we would then pull out the complaints related to discharge, focus on the high severity ones. And what did we find in this particular trust? Well, there were a lot of cases with, uh, of discharge with insufficient examination, an absence to follow up uh, appointments which had been agreed, failure to communicate care plans from when people went, went uh, home. All of this was higher than the national average in this area. So we could then produce uh, specific quotations like this one I'll read to you. So following the operation, my father was disoriented. He had poor vision and couldn't walk unsupported. Despite protests from my father, the nurse reassured him and discharged him. He was put in a taxi and sent home. And uh, the consequences weren't good of that. That's why the complaint is being written. Uh, now, out of the, the many hundreds of complaints a hospital would get, you can't just pull one out and decide to focus on it. But if you've sort of done this benchmarking and zooming in and looking where there's an outlier, you can then pull this out, and it becomes very meaningful, because it's not just one quote. This, this is a hotspot, and this is concrete data which represents something about that organization. Um, it also is a blind spot, you'll note, because... 
Had this letter not been written, the nurse would have assumed the reassurance worked and everything was fine. This is a discharge issue. So it only, the problem only arises after the person has left the hospital. So we're back into that blind spot. So those are the kind of analyses uh, which we produced in that trial. We have uh, sort of ongoing relationships with a number of different trusts across the UK who've contacted us and, and using the tool in various ways. We've also... Uh, been in discussion with people in Australia, Holland, Japan, Finland, Ireland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Portugal, uh, sometimes multiple groups within those countries who are interested in using the tool, translating it and working with it. And a couple of them have always written back and sort of said, we thought our complaints were unique, but when we tried your tool, it all worked very well and we got the same numbers you got, the one-third sort of management, one-third clinical, one-third relationship and so on. So it's nice to see it being used in that way. We were also contacted by uh, Bupa Global, and Chris is going to talk about that, so I won't say too much, but we've had very uh, profitable discussions with them about how they learn from complaints. We also have uh, some exciting work going on with Her Majesty's Court and Tribunal Service. This is obviously outside healthcare, where we're trying to develop a system for analyzing complaints, which will work in many different sectors. Uh, and we find, uh, again, very good reliability, especially around the outcomes of uh, complaints. We also are working with a company called Resolver, which is a startup, which is doing very well. It's a... Uh, online platform for submitting complaints and we're talking a lot to them about how they analyze the data and feed that back to companies. So a lot of different ends there. Okay. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's been interesting that, the, that some hospital, uh, healthcare organizations have run HCAT, written the report and sent it to us to check. You know, that's, that's, uh, it also indicates kind of the, the vacuum that a lot of organizations work in in trying to deal with this very complex data. In terms of conclusions, we'll, we'll, I'll maybe just think about the conclusions in relation to the work on healthcare complaints. They are an untapped resource still. Um, in the, it, even within the NHS, there's 120,000 of them. Um, they are, they are analysed. They're analysed very well at a local level. The problem is often at that aggregatable um, analysis where bigger insights can be drawn. And part of the problem in analysing complaints has simply been the messy nature of their data. They haven't been conceptualised as an incident report, but they are, and they are aggregatable. They shed light on institutional blind spots, and they distinguish hospital performance. And I guess our kind of goal is to move away from a model of this, which um, has some merit, to, to this, which provides really quite sharp insight on where things are going wrong and allow you to identi identify areas for improvement. I think the other thing, very interesting thing about complaints is that they are free. Okay, so organizations spend huge amounts of money consulting on what their consumers and service users think. Um, usually because they want to hear a message that kind of reassures them in some ways. Um, complaints are free. They're written by people with something to say. And if you kind of think about it, complaints that are low severity, where people are upset about the color of the waiting room or whatever it is, that's a really good sign. If that's what people are writing in about, you know you're doing very well as a hospital. 
They also reveal SOFA's use of priorities. A third of complaints are about relationships, dignity issues, um, things that are not clinical. They are the interpersonal. And I think as you look at complaints that involve older adults, and particularly the, the process of dying or having dementia, these issues of relationships become very, very sharp, and sometimes the clinical ones less so. And I think a bigger observation, perhaps, is complaints are a kind of barometer of public satisfaction. And I guess one of our, our other goals, I suppose, which is why Alex was talking about the work we're doing with HMCTS, is if you imagine a, a standardized platform for analyzing complaints across all government services, and you're rating the severity of those complaints, and it's kind of going red over time, which indicates things are going worse, or going green, they're getting better. If I was in charge, I'd want to know that. I'd want that insight, because it, it's telling me about what the public think and where the future is. Alex. Okay. This is our last slide. So um, I thought it was interesting what Tom just said there. Well, why do companies keep commissioning reports on, on user experience, user feedback? And I think it's because they don't like the complaints. You know, they, uh, they know they have the complaints department. They know they could go there and ask what, what's going wrong, but they'd rather commission another report. And when they don't like what they receive, they commission yet another report. This is the kind of um, head-in-the-sand phenomenon which uh, we think, you, you know, organizations, healthy organizations, organizations with a strong culture, they own up to their complaints. So what we've tried to say is just like people, institutions have blind spots. Those blind spots can be revealed by looking at complaints by an external point of view, the external here in our case being uh, service users, where they see the organization from a different vantage point, from their career through it. Things are joined up in a way which they're not joined up from within the organization. Why is there a resistance to learning from complaints? Well, whether it's at an individual level or at a collective organizational level, our identity is challenged. You know, uh, we either have this uh, option of uh, owning up to the complaint and then looking weak in the short term but potentially learning, or we can deny the problem and uh, protect our identity in the short term. So there's a couple of uh, ways in which this can be dealt with. There's a couple of possible solutions. One, which this is based on experimental research where they gave people negative feedback under different conditions to see when they would learn from negative feedback. And actually, they learn most when they can't refute it, when they can't argue with it when it's given in such a way that they just have to take ownership over it. When people are allowed to discuss it, they talk it down, they explain it away, they eventually work out you know, some narrative which allows them to ignore the issue. And so one important part there is just taking ownership over the complaints. Even if you don't like it, just take it as a fact. And that will, although it's difficult, will prompt learning. The second way is uh, going back to aviation, and it's the idea of a just culture. Uh, to have a complaint system which is based on really trying to learn rather than trying to blame. That is one of the ways in which I think we overcome some of the defensiveness about complaints. And I'd also say just actually the handling of complaints is very revealing here at a meta level, because it tells you about an organization. 
you know, if an organization is owning its complaints, then it's dealing with the first of those points. And if it's not blaming people, but is actually trying to, uh, you know, explore the problems and fix them, then it's a just culture. So the handling of complaints actually reveals something about these two ways of, of learning from uncomfortable truths. So this is the kind of uh, summing it up. We, we sort of see this, we're interested in this tension organizations face between taking responsibility for the, the difficult feedback in the short term, looking weak in the short term, but learning over the long term, or denying it in the short term, but then failing repeatedly in the longer term. So having uh, emphasized so much about the benefits of external feedback and hopefully not too critical feedback, <laughs> we will now turn over to our commentators. Thank you. Okay, so I guess I'm up first then. Thanks, Chandra. Um, a big thank you just to Alex and Tom, actually, for inviting me on behalf of Bupa to attend uh, this lecture today. Um, we're really excited to be part of this conversation for a number of reasons. Um, but ultimately, what we're here to do in our application of the HCAT is to learn from customer experience because that's really what's going to be driving the value for our members and for our business. So I've been asked to tell the story um, in five minutes of how at Booba we came to use HCAT. Uh, and the truth is, of course, it's not exactly a short tale. I'm not going to go through everything. Um, but of course, I'm sure you can appreciate that um, we went through a lot of analysis, firstly to find the right tool for us to be able to apply within our organization. And then questions around, well, what is the benefit to our members? What's the benefit to our providers? Uh, and, of course, what's the benefit ultimately to the business? Now, of course, as we all agree, complaints aren't necessarily and generally good for business, or are they? And this is a question that we started to ask ourselves. But I suppose you can forgive us for going through quite a long process of research and trying to find the right tool, um, so we probably came to the party a bit late, but in any case, we are here now and we're very engaged and excited to, uh, to be developing this work. So before I just take you into a couple of points around uh, some interesting insights that um, we've gained already from our application of HCAT, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Bupa and Bupa Global for Context, so bear with me in this. Bupa's purpose is helping people live longer, healthier, happier lives. Our status as a company limited by guarantee with no shareholders enables us to make our customers our focus, reinvesting our profits to provide more and better health care for current and future members. We fund health care around the world and run clinics, dental centres, hospitals, care homes and retirement villages in a number of countries. Now, Bupa Global, the area of the organisation that I work for, forms part of Bupa's International Markets Division, which has 7.2 million insurance customers and 700,000 provision customers. We provide products and services for globally-minded and mobile people who want the most premium coverage and access to the healthcare they need anytime, anywhere in the world, whether at home or when studying, living, travelling or working abroad. So just to note at the moment, it's actually only Bupa Global 
uh, that is exploring the use of HCAT and we're focusing purely on our insured members. So, of course, slightly different to a lot of the work that's already been done with respect to provisioning. Um, so I guess an interesting conversation certainly for us to develop. Although we're actually still in the very early stages of being able to interrogate the outputs of how we've applied HCAT, there's a couple of really interesting aspects I just wanted to pick out. So I've brought two just to talk very briefly about. So the first thing to say is, of course, HCAT allows us to standardize our internal reporting of complaints, and that then will allow us um, to start looking at exactly what this means. So some of the things we've started doing is actually overlaying other types of data with the outputs of HCAT. And you'll perhaps learn that it's not all that surprising that particularly where we see more of our severe complaints, we also have issues, for example, around fraud, waste and abuse. So you can suddenly see that there's already this linkage between understanding, well, how severe are these complaints and actually what are the other indicators that are telling us about the quality of our providers that we're contracting with. So really interesting for us to explore. The second is that HCAT is starting to help us assist our providers with actually improving healthcare delivery. And this is really only made possible by the fact that we have very uh, globally mobile customers. So just by way of example, we may have a UK national living in Saudi as an expat who then chooses to have treatment in Dubai. Now, as a Bupa Global member, this particular customer will have a, a sense of what their healthcare delivery is going to be, no matter where they are in the world. And this is really interesting in terms of then looking at, well, what, what does that mean? What are the different variances in standards of healthcare across the world? And we wouldn't be able to do this, of course, if we weren't listening to that feedback. So in applying HCAT, actually we can understand, well, what are the benchmarks and what are the variances, variances rather in this? So ultimately it can then be a win-win, both from a funding perspective and, of course, then for the delivery end of this. So really interesting work to explore. We're really just in the infancy of this, so I don't want to over-egg that we've got lots of data and everything else, because we don't, uh, but ultimately it is, it is really exciting being delivered through HCAT. That's really all I had to say in terms of my contribution, just within a couple of minutes, I'm sure we'll have uh, questions for the panel afterwards. So, thank you. Um, I, I sort of get quite philosophical once, uh, once an event happens um, near me, uh, be it the tragedy in Westminster just recently or, or, or before. And so excuse me if I go off onto a tangent. It's probably just me in a mood. And if you, um, if you really want to drag me out when we've got questions, pull me out quite rapidly. But um, trust is really important. Uh, and I think trust is the underlying glue that binds the governed with those who've been charged with the governing. Uh, and trust is something about keeping us safe, it's about making things work, and it's about constantly seeking to improve that which we provide and that which we use. And it's that trust, I think, which underlies the importance of complaints. Trust's important to ministers. So whenever we talk to ministers, ministers are always asking about the trust that society has with them. Trust is important to civil servants. We've been trusted with 
quite a lot of powerful tools and levers. And the way we use that is incredibly important. And it's something that we challenge ourselves on a regular basis. We want to deliver services that work. That's why we joined the public sector. We, you know, most civil servants can get paid a lot more going and doing other stuff. But we choose, most of us, or some of us, choose to be here because we want to see the public sector work for the citizens who need it at their time of need. But we also want to understand the citizen, as do ministers. They want to understand what citizens are thinking, what's important to them, and how things work. We kicked off a piece of work uh, last year with a professor called Jim McNamara uh, from Sydney University to look at how we as an organisation listen to society. And are there opportunities for us to learn on how we can listen better? Part of that work looked at complaints because we recognise that complaints is a huge, huge untapped resource. It's data. And actually, as we move forward, we have the technology to really start to exploit that data much better than we have done previously. So if we're honest, 20 years ago, we could not exploit the quantities of data that we get in any area of life that we can do now. And that's a result of the cost of storage becoming cheaper, the ability of algorithms to pull out insights, and our knowledge and our use of technology in supporting the way we understand what's going on with data <coughs> and how that can feed into the insights that we can then apply into our businesses and to our organizations. But complaints ultimately for me help us to do three things. It helps us to build a relationship with the citizen by resolving the complaint for that individual so that they can trust us that we're going to do better and we want to do better. It helps us to understand areas which we need to improve and how we can innovate to make it better for the citizen. And that comes really at an organisational level. But also at an aggregated level, once we're able to put all of these complaints together and start to draw our insights, it enables us to identify areas for intervention and it enables us to identify systemic issues that can only be resolved by taking a system-wide approach. So complaints are incredibly useful. But in government, we operate in a devolved system. So we operate in a system where we can't mandate how people do things or when they do things. We entrust organisations and our leaders to deliver the best for the citizen, and they do. And I just want to go through a few things here what, uh, to, to bring some of this to life. Trust. Um, building that trust and relationship with the citizen. My neighbour, uh, he's quite old, he's about 60, if that's old for some, be young for others here. <laughs> uh, but he was, um, he's, he's incredibly strong and incredibly able. Uh, and he was paving his driveway uh, back at the end of last, uh, towards the end of autumn last year. Paving his driveway. And I, I, you know, it's not something I would ever dream of doing. And I hadn't seen him for about four months. And there was a word on the street that he wasn't doing very well. 
So I let it fester for another month, and about five or six months after I hadn't seen him, I popped in and knocked on the door and said, how's it going? And his wife answered, and she answered in tears. And she said, well, he's got a a clot in his brain, and he's been to the hospital, but we don't know what's happened. It's all just come to an end. And he doesn't even know where he is, what he's doing, or how how he's going on, or, or what he's doing from day to day. And so I sat down with him, and I found out that actually what had happened was that he'd gone for an appointment... And then nothing had happened after that appointment. And they tried to complain, but no one had responded. And so what we did together, me and his wife, we complained to the MP, got the MP to write. And within a day of the MP writing, the response came that his letter had got stuck on a system and hadn't been sent to the ward that it should have been sent for him to have the operation that would have helped him. Now, this is a man who was incredibly strong and now has only a few months to live because of an administrative error that could have been resolved if the complaint had been dealt with properly in the first instance. Complaints build trust and then matter to individuals. She does not trust hospitals anymore. And her response to me when I said to her, why didn't you pick this up? She said, no, the government, they're going to do the best for us, aren't they? That's completely out the window. Improve, Mid-Staffordshire, which was talked about just earlier, really highlights how we can identify how we improve our systems so that they resolve them. And I won't go into that. Interventions, Stephen Lawrence and the systemic racial profiling of people by the Met Police and, and system, you know, all of that, that resulted from parents deciding that they wanted to stand up and complain and continue to complain until they got a public inquiry. So complaints matter because they change. But we make so many, we put in so many barriers to prevent us from listening sometimes, we don't allow it to make the difference quickly enough. It saves money. Uh, And if you want to talk about saving money, I, I can give you an example of me going to court on Monday for a speeding fine, which could have saved a lot of money, but let's not go there. Uh, It improves services, and it builds relationships. But we've got a long way to go, and we recognize that in the public sector, because we've got to change our culture in the way we look at complaints, change it from one that sees it as an opportunity and a real asset to one that traditionally we saw it as a liability. But actually, increasingly, the entire system is seeing it more and more as an opportunity. But we need help in how we extract that information and make it meaningful. And the HCAP tool for us helps us do that. It's a tool which I haven't seen replicated anywhere else, but enables us to get insights and also start to compare unsimilar organisations to each other so it drives behavioural change. Because I don't believe the HCAP tool needs to be restricted to health. I think it can be utilised across different sectors. And I've only got a few more minutes, a few, few seconds left, I suppose. Um, two things I'd say is I don't think we've seen the full potential of complaints yet. If I was to take the, um, the very sad case of um, child abuse, where you had, you know, even if we take the FA football scenario, where you had three cases of abuse rise or complaints come in and people take them seriously, 
And then when we made it transparent, hundreds came forward. I think complaints are the tip of the iceberg. And if we can get the insights into them effectively and then open that up to the citizens, to each other, I just wonder what it might show us. And I do think the categorization tool begins to help us draw the insight in a way that we can share effectively. Thank you very much for your lecture and for the responses. Uh, we will now open to the floor uh, to questions for, from the audience. If you can let us know your institutional affiliation and wait for the stewards uh, with the roving microphone to get to you. Any questions? There is one from the woman there and then next to her. Hello, my name's Anno, institutional affiliation. I wondered whether the research that was carried out on this included uh, mental health hospitals and hospitals in uh, prisons. Uh, so the, we reported studies with a number of different samples, and some of the samples have included mental health units, but by and large, we've been focusing on more acute units because that's where there's more secondary data for summary mortality indicators and so on. Uh, in the trial, which we did with the Cabinet Office and the Behavioral Insights team, we had uh, one trust in particular which had broader community care issues. And we're looking more at how the tool would need to potentially be modified to deal with issues beyond the acute. It was actually the, the systematic review we did was covering all uh, healthcare institutions, including mental health care, but the literature is skewed towards acute, if you see what I mean. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of yeah, surgery and, and these kind of issues where um, you can see from the categories, they, they sort of... Yeah, oh, they're absolutely, there are acute, acute cases. Uh, I, I don't mean to suggest there aren't. But just that the, the literature and the tool is skewed more towards the surgery type of acute. Yeah. But uh, we would certainly see that it could be done for that area. Prisons? Prisons we haven't had a look at at all. Okay. I mean, there is an issue just with the volume of data... <laughs> in the number of different, just in healthcare, the number of different sectors to look at, and then when we start looking beyond healthcare, uh, yeah, it's difficult to look at everything. But these are important issues, and I think using complaints there, it would be uh, doing this kind of analysis. You could compare the severity, you could compare the frequency, the content for hospitals related to prisons and so on. Are they getting equal care? Is the complaint level the same? What are the issues? I think these are very important issues for us to understand. We have a number of people who are already lots of hands up. Uh, please, I'm going to ask you all to be brief in your questions so that as many people as possible can speak. So, yes, uh, you, uh, Narendra Kapoor, uh, UCL. So, uh, I really enjoyed your talk and I think your, your tool looks very good. I mean, there is the issue of the uh, validity of complaints and how do you 
um, I know what's the threshold people have for, for making complaints and, and whether complaints are uh, <laughs> fabricated or not and things like that. And, and then the question of things which uh, positive feedback rather than complaints. But I, well, the thing I'd just like to ask about is how you can um, uh, uh, marry up what you're doing with the other dimensions of uh, patient, patient safety. So on the one hand, you've got uh, things like the Yorkshire Contributive Factors Framework for looking at patient safety errors and looking at those from, from the analytical point of view. And then at the other end, you've got staff issues, uh, uh, bullying, uh, whistleblowing, how BME and whistleblowers are, are treated, etc., and how that sort of that that complaints are processed. So how do you how can you link up everything so you've got a an overall picture about complaints? <clears throat> yeah, that, that's an, an interesting question. I mean, in the complaints, some complaints are about staff bullying. You know, staff bullying each other that patients have observed you know, uh, uh, um, things that shouldn't be happening in hospitals. I think we see complaints more um, they kind of have these two functions the f- one is this sort of learning aspect um, and you might integrate it into other data like safety reporting data um, etc. I think the thing that, that I find very important is that where an organization becomes deeply problematic Kind of, you might even say rotten in some sense. Um, you can't really trust some of the data within it. That's what the Mid-Staffordshire shows, and actually that's what research shows in lots of places. You can't trust it because um, the data isn't particularly reliable and people don't want to say the truth because they're worried to lose their jobs. Um, and there, I think the complaints are your, your kind of, almost your last line of defense. They are the unadulterated view of what's what's going on. So I kind of see complaints having two functions. They can, one, integrate with other safety data. So do they provide different insights? And research shows they do instant reports. So this is where staff report problems. Only about 10% of complaints are captured in an instant report. So they're a different set of data. Um, They see different things. But they also function as sort of early warning system. Um, You know, the CQC or whoever it is might go to a hospital to inspect it. Um, it'll be a one-off inspection, but actually complaints are, as Alex said, are results of lots and lots of ethnographers, if you like, reporting on what's going on. And the more there is to say and the more concern, the more you, more you listen. Can I just follow up very briefly on the compliments? Because we've used the tool to analyze compliments, uh, not just complaints. And... Um, if it's one-third, one-third, one-third for complaints, the profile is very different for compliments. What drives compliments is relationships, unquestionably. It's two-thirds are all about relationships. The clinical is to be expected, the management is to be expected, but relationships are what makes exceptional care. And one further point, that the opposition between complaints and compliments is, in my view, over-sharp. These are more, uh, going back to some of Chandra's points, these are concerned citizens writing in because they believe they have something useful to say. And in that spirit, they don't either do complaints or compliments. Uh, About 10% of compliments have a complaint in and equally for complaints. Complaints even more, I think 15% or so, will have a compliment. They'll say this was really good, but this wasn't. These are citizens trying to provide useful information for the organization, and therefore the the actual complaint-compliment 
opposition is a bit false. Hi, um, Sydney Kingsmore from HNCTS. Uh, as you know, we are super excited about the work that we're doing with you. Um, uh, my question for you really is around... Um, the reason we're excited is because we've got loads of complaints that we try to learn from and that we try to help other people learn from, but it's really, really hard. And what you're doing is making it really easy for us to be able to learn from mistakes. My question is, uh, uh, from all of your contacts with all the multiple health organizations, what barriers have you come across to implementing this and to actually being able to take the data that comes out of it and do something about it? And is there anything we can learn from that before? I mean, that's an in- interesting uh, question because generally the trusts that want to work with us in healthcare are the ones that want to do something about complaints. And um, when we first did this study, we, we do it through a series of Freedom of Information Acts. And um, we sent out a whole load of FOI requests for complaints and compliments. And the ones on compliments, how quickly were they responded to? Was it- uh, we got acknowledgments within 24 hours and most of the data within a week. <laughs> Complaints, half of them never responded to us. Okay. Um, complaints, half of them never responded to us, and those that did took, put up a lot of barriers. And a couple did send us to them, and they were interested. And just in that microcosm of starting the study, uh, where people were falling over themselves to give us their compliments, but the complaints were seen as, as quite differently. Some had legitimate reasons, but a lot of healthcare organizations just didn't bother, you know, they just... If, if they, perhaps the RFOI went in the same place as their complaints, who knows? Um, uh, and, but that, so the institutions vary. But I think what you see in something, that's why benchmarking is so incredibly important. And I, I, there's always a negative side to benchmarking where um, you, it shouldn't be done in a way that penalizes. Um, but it allows you to, what Alex was saying about, you can't escape the feedback. You can't escape the observation. And the observation is there. So some, the worst organizations sometimes need to be leveraged into doing something about their problems. Just before we proceed to the next question, because there are a number of people who want to talk, I, I think I would take a few of the questions and then you can react to sure. them together because we are, running we are running out of time. So Nick and then, then the... Uh, person here, there, is, there was a question there and a question there. And then we'll have to, if you can be very brief with your question or comment, please. And Alex and Tom will react to that before we close. Uh, Nick Caldry, LSC. Um, it's a wonderful qualitative tool you developed here with very wide application. And of course, what we really care about is how the hospitals respond to the complaints. So I wonder whether you're interested in extending your tool to looking at the, the quality of the response, whether it matches the structure of the complaint, whether in a letter or in some other more complex way, because that's what we really need to know. Mm. Thank you. Uh, retired GP, I, I could make a, a great many points about the, the talk. The subject of complaints is very interesting and important, and the mantra of complaints and the utilization of it has been around for an awful long time. And I think it's not new to say that organizations that use uh, complaints effectively oftentimes do actually improve services, save money, and probably have better outcomes. But I was a bit concerned about some of the uh, conclusions you were drawing from the data. I think there are lots of problems about complaints. First of all, the representativeness of the data. I mean, your severity versus mortality did show wide scatter. 
I mean, from personal experience, I, I, in the past when I was working as a GP, I found that, frankly, not everybody complains. And sometimes they actually have a jolly good reason to complain. And equally, you find that some other people, vocal people, the articulate, will complain when perhaps actually the issue is not that serious. I was a bit concerned about the perhaps lack of emphasis you gave to um, the barriers to um, why people complain. I think there are two sides to it. One, that the complainants, and the other side, the organization. And I think the blame culture, I think the phrase you used was the just culture. I think if that could be developed more, I mean, in certain countries, I think Australia, they have this no-fault approach, and that really does promote the opportunity to complain in a safe way so that people can actually learn. If there's a feeding frenzy and people just get fired, then you lose the information and you lose expertise. Um, and I did wonder, if, since we're here in the LSC, whether there's a, a graph that you could draw of complaints versus percentage of GDP spent on healthcare, because um, I think some of it reflects under-resourced expectations promoted. Um, and I think, lastly, audit circle. You know, have you applied the, your uh, HCAT a second time to see that after it's been exposed the first time to an organisation, have they been able to make changes that made it? any difference to outcomes? Shall we take the last two yes. and then you can react? There was one question here and then there will be there. Okay, uh, my... Oh, hello, um, my name is Lily. I'm an LSE alumni and I work for FIGO. Um, I wanted to ask if in your analysis um, in particular you found any evidence to suggest that there was a correlation between the number of complaints or severity of complaints and the um, availability of financial resources. Because at the moment there seems to be, this, in particular in relation to the NHS, there seems to be this back and forth between the government and the NHS that says NHS is a breaking point. Government says, well, we've never... Um, given any more, like more resources than, than we do nowadays. So I was just wondering. And then a final question. Uh, uh, my name is Tariq Salim. Uh, my, coming from the Health Watch perspective, a public uh, view of complaints. Um, the question, some of the questions I had have already been asked, so I won't ask them again. Uh, but there's a couple of technical issues that are relevant perhaps to organizations like the one I, I come from. How do you populate the system? Uh, how, uh, the question of how you access data, you have kind of slightly addressed that by saying you asked, you had freedom of re information requests, but the data might come in very different forms. What, is the f what, is the pos what are the capabilities of your system to be, be fed with data? Uh, so we would download your system and Im implement it in our, in, on our machine, and then you would have to get the data and feed it in. What are the costs of Presumably, the data, data, the data has to be coded. You mentioned coding, so it's not you're not you're not looking at unstructured unstructured data and then analyzing it through some careful, clever algorithms. You're doing some coding. I got the feeling that sort of. So, what's the cost of that? That sounds to be a very expensive exercise if you've got large numbers of complaints and so on. Thank you, guys. Over to you. Do you want to, do you want to start with me? Uh, no, let me go really quickly, and then Tom will fill in the gaps. Um, <laughs> In terms of responses to complaints, Nick, we've, we haven't looked at it. It's wonderful data to look at. But one area where we have touched upon this is an online platform called Patient Opinion, where they make their data open. And we work closely with uh, James Monroe there to look at their data. And they have 
Comments submitted, comments read, comments responded to, changes resulted. And we've applied HCAT to all those different levels. So we can see uh, what is submitted, and you get the one-third, one-third kind of thing. What is read, they tend to drop out some things. What is uh, the responses, what issues are mentioned in the responses, again, more issues drop out. And what leads to change, and again, more issues drop out. What drops out? Clinical and relationship issues, and the sort of management things carry through to changes, which is kind of interesting. We suspect it's that the people responding don't want to go to the senior clinician and get them, tell them, you know, someone's complaining. So it's easier to change the car parking rules than it is to get a senior clinician on the, the board. But I think there's very interesting things there because the response is about the listening. So, totally. Um, in terms of the representativeness of uh, the data, yes, some people complain and others don't. This is why we don't count number of complaints and we try to compare them in terms of the event reported and the severity so that we are comparing like with like, not in terms of raw number. There are some subtle sort of methodological issues which emerge. I haven't got time to get into. But if you assume a normal distribution of complaints, even though you don't know the population of complaints, you can assume it has a normal distribution. You do know your sample, and you can look at the distribution within that sample, and you can estimate from that distribution what is missing. So, for example, if you have a lot of high-severity complaints with very few low-severity complaints, you can suspect a lot is missing. It's very unlikely a hospital would only have terrible issues happening and no minor issues. Whereas if you see a profile with quite a lot of low-severity complaints and only a few high-severity complaints, it suggests, it's not, it's not definitive, but it does suggest that that's a relatively complete uh, sample. Mm. It, have we done it a second time? Have we uh, done anything longitudinally? No, we haven't. We would love to do that, and we think that would be a great way of um, tracking interventions in an organization uh, to do that. So this is something we now have the data. We, we need to get more, but we're beginning to get longitudinal data sets where we'll do that kind of analysis. And um, in terms of the costs and uh, access to the data, yeah, r rolling this kind of thing out is huge. Well, what we have done is an academic exercise, and we're producing academic outputs, papers and articles, to try and demonstrate the value and validity of analyzing complaints, which is quite different to actually how you would roll it out. We're providing the intellectual material to give people the arguments in order to invest significant resources. Just to pick up on that point, though, um, I mean, the, the NHS, if it receives 120,000 complaints annually, I don't think we would suggest analysing them all. You, could, you, know, you, you can statistically try and determine the sample that requires you to make larger observations. It takes between six and ten minutes of a, a well-trained coder to read and codify a complaint. So it takes a bit of time of reading, but not that long, um, because complaints vary. Some complaints are huge, some are very, very short. Um, yeah, so about six to ten minutes. The cost depends on... Uh, we use our own platform, software platform. We haven't really thought about extending it in that, 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 that way. <laughs> but it's a good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So the, just to say the data is we get the data in a printed format redacted of names. So we don't get any names of patients, names of clinicians. We then have to optically scan the data the printed copies, they go back into the machine, they're scanned so we can then code them electronically. But of course, if this was being done internally, you wouldn't need that process. Uh, um, it's quite a laborious, uh, the process is quite laborious, yeah. Right, well, <coughs> it has been a real pleasure to have the opportunity, I think, for both me and I think for you as well, to listen to uh, Dr. Gillespie and Dr. Rida and our responders this evening. So thank you very much for coming to the school. We're grateful that you could all find the time to be here. And do keep an eye on our website. The LSC is very committed to making sure that the knowledge it produces and the research it produces gets to the public and it's used by society. That's our commitment and it's a great pleasure to have you here. So do come back. Thank you very much. <laughs>